Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, open your Bibles. Revelation chapter 2, please. Grab your message notes, dear church. We're actually going to look at a letter, the longest and most complicated letter Jesus wrote to the church. These are actual historical churches that lived in real cities. Uh, and this was the longest letter to the church in the smallest city in Turkey. And uh, there's a lot here. So I really need you to lean in. Did you come ready to think today? Yeah? Three of us did, and it's going to be a great morning. Awesome. Okay, come back with me to 1978, okay? I'm 14 years old. Little Gary, 14 years old. 1978, Space Invaders was the debut uh, video game. Look at those graphics. Isn't that great? Uh, Here's the leading movies of 1978. Uh, Saturday Night Fever, Grease, Close Encounters. You might be interested to know the Dow closed in 1978 at 805 points. Um, And I was in the ninth grade. I lived in Novato, California. And in November of 1978, 40 years ago, I remember opening the Chronicle. It's one of those moments embedded in my mind, reading the front page article about this mass suicide that happened in South America or Central America, a place called Guyana, the largest mass suicide in history. Now, I never knew, reading that article, how normal this church was when it started, the People's Temple in San Francisco. Maybe you didn't either. At its height, People's Temple in the 70s had 20,000 members meeting in 12 different locations. It was the original multi-site church. Uh, And it started as a legitimate church in a legitimate denomination. Pastor Jim Jones was known for doing good. People's Temple ran drug rehab clinics, feeding centers, after-school programs, senior citizen homes, medical clinics. They even held, uh, ran animal shelters for a while for dogs. It was by far the most community-minded church in San Francisco. Uh, local and national politicians, Jerry Brown, Diane Feinstein, Willie Brown, Rosalind Carter, all commended Jim Jones at one point. But then things got really weird. Uh, Jim Jones started faking miracles. He started engaging in sexual promiscuity of all kinds. His hypocrisy grew. Who he was in public and who he was in private were two different people. And he lacked accountability. He had no board that he was accountable to. He called himself God's true prophet, whose teachings and decisions could never be questioned. He was so convincing that thousands followed him into Guyana to start a utopia in the jungle called Jonestown with the original intent of feeding the world. That's how he built it. We're going to feed the world through this utopia. We're going to send teenagers all over the world as missionaries. And then I read about it on November 11th, uh, sorry, 18th, 1978. 909 people died in Jonestown drinking poison punch when ordered to do so by Jim Jones. He practices time and time again with them before, telling them they're going to die, but it wasn't poisoned at the time. Now, what's interesting to me as I was researching this is above the chair that Jim Jones sat in that pavilion where 900 people died was a sign, and the sign read this. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. 
See, Jim Jones provided an unintended moral to the story. If we don't remember and learn from the past, unchecked power, churches drifting from the word, doing horrible things in the name of religion, it will happen again and again and again. So we're going to go back to the past this morning, not just to a toxic church 40 years ago. We're going to go back to a toxic church 2,000 years ago in Thyatira. I want us to learn from that. Your Bibles are open to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to walk through this complicated letter word by word and unpack it a little bit. Let's start in verse 18. And here's the moral of the story. Don't be misled, church. Don't be misled. Revelation 2.18 says this, to the angel of the church of Thyatira write. Now, as we've been doing in every week, let's explore the city. The more you know about its city and its origins, it will help us. You'll see, uh, the way I'm putting it is, Jesus speaks the dialect of each city of each church that he writes to. It's like if he wrote to Redwood City, to the church of PCC, he'd talk about being climate best by government test or something like that, Okay. Here's what you need to know. It was a small city, I told you, smallest of the seven, but a very busy city. Uh, Thyatira stood at a junction. I have a map of it. Uh, and there it is, a junction. Uh, its highways went right through Thyatira to other major cities. So it was a truck stop of sorts. And so it was commercially very rich. Commerce was very rich. And because of its truck stop, there were trade guilds or unions. We've talked about this in every city. But the guilds and the unions, the trades, were most powerful in Thyatira than any other city. Uh, there were guilds for fabric dyers, for pottery makers. There were trade guilds for bakers. But the biggest industry in Thyatira was bronze smiths, bronze making. And so as you unearth coins, and archaeology has unearthed coins in every city, unlike the other cities where the coins held pictures of gods, the coins in Thyatira showed pictures of bronze being forged on their, or engraved on their coins. They worshipped the trades. They worshipped commerce. It was the uh, original Union City of Northern California, or the city of industry in Los Angeles, right? Now, here's what's important to know for us. Each trade guild had a sponsor god. And at the guild meetings, there was food sacrificed to these gods, parties for these gods, temple prostitution for these gods. Each trade guild had its own temple, and there'd be prostitution. It was the worst uh, of morality being displayed, the most dehumanizing behavior at the trade guild meetings. It begs the question for us, what would you do as a follower of Jesus? Your whole life depended on these trade guilds, these unions, you weren't part of them, you couldn't put food on the table. But being part of them meant you would engage or engage in uh, parties and uh, practices that went across the grain of your faith. For those of us who work outside of vocational ministry, people like you who have real jobs, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> in the most abandoned mission field in all of America, the workplace. This is a message for all of us. How do we, with vigor, with which we worship here on Sunday, with vigor, worship Jesus Monday through Friday? Not through singing, 
but through our work ethic, through the quality of our work, through the way we treat our employees or our coworkers or our cube mates. This is so practical today, very practical. Uh, listen, I'll just jump ahead. What's in Thyatira, it's by far uh, the toughest letter. And what's interesting is there's no religious persecution against Christians. There's no government persecution like the other cities we saw. This place is so industry-focused, they didn't care. And yet they end up being the followers of Jesus in the biggest danger. Their faith is threatened more than any other church for two reasons. The social pressure from without to conform in the trade guilds and a false teacher from within. We'll get to her in a minute. They were drinking her Kool-Aid and drifting into a synthesized faith and sadly blending in, blending in to the culture, blending in to their community. It begs this question, what is it about you, apart from your language, what is it about your work, your work ethic, your countenance, Monday through Friday, that stands out? What is it that differentiates you as a follower of Jesus from everyone else at your high school campus or your middle school campus or your grammar school campus or your workplace or your neighborhood? If you couldn't use your voice, what is it about your actions at work that makes you stand out? That's what this letter's about. And that's why it's really practical. Look how Jesus reveals himself to them. Look what it says in verse 18. These are the words of the Son of God. Now remember, they're all about bronze and forming bronze, whose eyes are like a blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. In other words, he's saying, you guys are so famous for your bronze forges. My eyes are like a bronze smith fire. My feet are like a bronze statue, and you need my fiery insight to diagnose in you something deep within that you're blind to, and you need me to help forge you into something that will stand or withstand the cultural current, to be strong and stand out. That's why we gather here today. That's why we worship each other, uh, not each other, worship God together today. That's why we cry out in humility to God, saying, examine us. We just sung that, right? That's why we need each other. So good. I love how Jesus presents himself. And his main message is this, top of page two. Stay discerning so that you stand out. Stay discerning so that you stand out. A discernment isn't just distinguishing right from wrong. I, I honestly think that's not our primary issue as followers of Christ. The discernment I'm begging for, I think Jesus is asking for in the letter, and it's relevant to us today, is to distinguish between the primary and the secondary. Just sit in that for a minute. I'm not talking about distinguishing right from wrong. There'll be other gatherings where I'll emphasize that. You all have been walking with God, most of you, and I know some of you here are not identified as followers of Christ. Like Ben said, thank you for having the courage to join us uh, there's stuff here for you too. But if you're a follower of Christ, the primary discernment I'm begging for is the primary 
from the secondary. Here's the challenge. This church was giving primary allegiance to secondary things. And it was wreaking havoc in the church and in their spiritual life. The greatest gift to this peninsula is you, followers of Jesus, infiltrating in the DNA of the peninsula. And when we give primary allegiance to secondary things, we don't stand out. And our life is a billboard. Jesus doesn't really change lives. Just look at mine. We've got to give primary allegiance to primary things. Look at the next passage I put in your notes. Uh, it says this, but I am concerned, 2 Corinthians eleven three. 3, it's on the screen. I am afraid just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, our minds, your minds may be led astray from your primary allegiance, your purity and simplicity of devotion to Jesus. It's good, isn't it? Come on, nod so I know you're there. Yeah, it's really good, okay? Am I, am I the only one that wrestles? Carol, do you wrestle with giving primary allegiance to secondary things? She doesn't know. She just shows up. I love that. She's right there. We, most of us do, right? We all do. This is so important for us. So how do we avoid being deceived and wandering away? Four things. We're going to go really quickly here. Lean in. Put your minds on. Thinking caps on. Here we go. Here's the first. Don't assume you're immune. Don't assume you're immune. Maybe you listened to my opening Jonestown story. Some of you may have relatives, and I'm trying to be very sensitive, who were part of that. Uh, and you think, gosh, I would never fall for something like that. Well, in the 30 years, tons of research, uh, 40 years, tons of research has been done, as you can imagine, uh, and you know what they found about the people in the Jonestown community? They were smart. There were smart people in there. The assistant DA of all of San Francisco uh, was one of their elders at one time until Jones fired the whole elder board. Uh, they were effective. Their drug addiction center weaned hundreds of people off of substance abuse. They were generous. They were the leading food provider for the homeless in all of San Francisco. What happened? That church lacked discernment and slowly tolerated more and more eccentric behavior and strange teaching from their leader. There was erosion within and like dry rot in a foundation beam, the church collapsed. The erosion within will ultimately show itself without. So if it happened to them, how do you know it can't happen to us? Look what Jesus says in verse 19. Look what it says. Jesus goes, I know your deeds. And he, he commends six things to this church in Thyatira. Your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. This next line shows growth. You're doing more now than you did at first. That's a great church, right? Good things are happening. But they had one problem, and it was potentially fatal. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, not a real woman. The issue wasn't that she was a female. The issue, she was a false teacher, okay? It's not the fact that she was a female, not her real name. No one in the New Testament in a church would name their daughter Jezebel, given her Old Testament history. Uh, the book we're reading alongside this says it's the equivalent of people today naming their son Hitler. No one would do it. This is an illustration Metaphor, they're tolerating false teaching. 
who calls herself a prophet. This is like uh, what I tell my girls all the time. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. It's an axiom in the Gadini home. Show me your closest friends, and I'll show you the trajectory of your life. God is a good father saying the same thing. Show me your pastors, I'll show you your future. Show me who you give allegiance to, I'll show you your future. And you're tolerating this. I don't want you to think of tolerance uh, in the best sense of acceptance, right? We, we cannot but be tolerant in these communities. We must accept. But it doesn't mean endorsement. Now, I'll give you an example from this week. So Monday, I'm going to a doctor's appointment. And um, midweek, I drive a, a, don't judge me, okay? I drive a scooter around, a little Vespa, okay? And I scoot all around. And um, so I showed up to this doctor's appointment and there was this huge, brand new $40,000 Harley parked in the parking lot. And I scooted up right next to it. <laughs> and I could tell from being in the doctor's room, I could hear, hear in the other room the Harley driver and the way he talked. It was your stereotypical Harley driver. I love Harley drivers. God loves Harley drivers. Okay? I just want to be all clear. Okay? Um, so we're going out. I've never felt less like a man. <laughs> than walking up to my scooter next to Harley Man. And he had the little pea helmet, and he, you know, he was like double my weight. I mean, he was your stereotypical Harley guy. He had the, I mean, everything, okay? So uh, he says, hey, is this yours? <laughs> and I never wanted to walk farther away than at that point. I said, yeah, it's mine. Oh, it's a cool Vespa. And I said, thank you. I'm like, that's a great Harley. I just bought it. He told me the price. So we start talking. We engage. It's a divine appointment, I think, you know. And so we start engaging. Oh, by the way, he's smoking marijuana while we're talking. And uh, and every, I kid you not, every other word is F-bomb, you know, an expletive. So at that point, we're talking, and, and he says, he takes a hit. This is in a Redmond City parking lot. It's like, you smoke weed? <laughs> so actually, I'm trying to stay off that right now. No. I, I said, no. And so we engage in conversation. And uh, he finds out what I do, and he doesn't change anything. The F-bombs keep coming and what have you. And, and we're leaving. He says, hey. He says, I want to tell you, you're pretty nice for a Vespa driving pastor. I said, thanks. I said, you're pretty nice for a weed-smoking, cussing Harley man. And we laughed, and I said, uh, and I want you to know one other thing. God loves you. All your weed-smoking, all your cussing, God loves you. Don't ever forget that. That's biblical tolerance. Now, do I endorse cussing every other word? Do I endorse smoking weed before you get on any vehicle, let alone smoking weed? No, not at all. I don't endorse it, but I can't but accept who this man is for who he is because Jesus accepted me for who I was and who I am today. So when he says you tolerate, the issue is not, hang on, Carol. What do you, want? you want me to wear that? Thank you. Wow, look what Carol's giving me, a little motorcycle out <laughs> That's awesome. 
Escucha. That's why we're not recording this. That's why this is the, my favorite service of the four. Are we done? Okay. None of these go up on social media, please. Love you, Carol. Thank you. Um, let's close in prayer. <laughs> Come on, man. We got to get to this. Okay. So they, it wasn't that they accepted her. Look, I, I know people are all over the map here. We accept you. You are welcome here. That's biblical tolerance. The fact was they were endorsing her. We don't endorse everyone's behavior, right? Uh, it doesn't mean we'll turn our back on you, but a, a community can't thrive when everything is endorsed. You have anarchy. Uh, we're seeing that some ways on a national spectrum, right? Um, do we endorse, just go through the week, mail bombs? No. Do we endorse synagogue shootings? No. But we can't help but accept the fact that this is the culture we're living in. And thank God, I've, I used to be really close friends with the chaplain of San Quentin. And I used to go cell to cell back in another lifetime in San Quentin. And that chaplain just accepted those prisoners for where they were because it's the starting point of new life in Christ. You don't have to get better to be accepted by Christ. He accepts you just as you are. But he'll, he doesn't endorse uh, behavior that's contrary to you, uh, to his word, or to um, the way Jesus lived, okay? So the most important thing, what I want you to hear the first lesson is don't assume you're immune. It can infiltrate anywhere. Here's the second thing. Don't believe everything you hear. This is really important. For the followers of Jesus in community, I am begging you as your pastor, when things come across the internet on a podcast, whether it comes out of my mouth or on social media, check it. With the word of God, check it with community. Check it with common sense. Look what it says in verse 20. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. What was Jezebel teaching? Uh, she was teaching this. You could have it all. Hey, who you are on Sunday, that's who you are on Sunday. Worshiping Jesus, presenting a holiness uh, that you really want to attain to, endeavoring to be a faithful follower of Jesus. But Monday to Friday, Jezebel taught business is business. Go to the trade meetings, party, get drunk, engage in dehumanizing and destructive behavior. God's okay with it all. That was her teaching. Uh, and we know that doesn't do anyone any good, right? Remember, to get those jobs to live in Thyatira, you had to compromise. At least that was put before you as a follower of Christ. Now, those guilds, those trades, they weren't just your job protection or your income. They were your support system. Those trades provided health care. They provided a social network. They provided your housing. And so what would you do as a follower of Jesus and not engage? How would you enter the trade guild meetings? This is something we must wrestle with. Because we can no longer turn a blind eye to the largest mission field in America, the workforce. You're needed there more than ever before to robustly live out your Christian life, to graciously stand on your convictions. Okay, very important. So, so what did they do? 
Um, it's amazing. Uh, look, look, she says, you know, you can have it all. And what does the church do? Blindly, they start to believe this teacher, this Jezebel, whether she's male or female, we don't know. And they don't check the scriptures. No one stood up and said, hey, wait, wait a second. Uh, this whole denomination was built on uh, a saying, where is it written? Where is it written? Uh, we have it hanging every week up there on that gray banner. We value living the word of God. Living it. You should be checking my message notes with the scriptures. There's a group uh, called Bereans. Have you heard that term? Let me tell you where it comes from. It's in your notes, Acts 17, 11. It says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness. They examined the scriptures every day to see what? If what Paul said was what? True, helpful, life-giving. Do that. I'm open. Check me. I'm accountable to a board too. But please, not just with me, but with others. Third lesson, don't confuse success with blessing. We've got to motor through these. Don't confuse success with blessing. Now, she seemed, this Jezebel figure, he or she, to have great success. And God seemingly wasn't doing anything about it. That's called patience. God's patience is being displayed. Look what it says in verse 21 and 23. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit, this is all metaphorical, figurative language, everybody. Those who uh, commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children, not little children. Jesus loves children. Jesus doesn't strike children dead. Calm down a little bit. But he says her adherents will follow the way of destruction. I have in my notes that it's actually God's kindness that's intended to turn us from our sin. It's God's kindness that turns us from our sin because oftentimes, uh, here's what I wrote, we aren't punished um, for our sin, we're punished by our sin. Just sit in that for a minute. That's what he's getting at. Oftentimes we're not punished for our sin, we're just punished by our sin. I'm in a counseling meeting with a man who uh, says, um, what can I do in, in a different church? And he says, um, I just want to be alone in the bedroom with my wife. And well, what do you mean? He's like, I was very promiscuous before I got married. I'm really into pornography. Because now I've met the woman of my dreams. I've met Christ. And this is what his line was. I can't erase the reruns in the theater of my mind. Now, is that God punishing him for promiscuity? No, no, no. That's, that's the uh, inevitable outcome of destruction that God uh, invites us to stay away from by walking in obedience. Uh, listen, obedience isn't complex. Sin is complex. Obedience is pretty simple. And it's for life, everybody. Maybe you're sitting here and you're not a part of a church community and you're going, oh, here it is. Here comes the hellfire and brimstone part. Uh, that's not what we're about. That's not even what this passage is about. 
This is a good father, like I am, to, well, most of the time, to my five daughters, saying, no, no, you have a curfew, and I'm putting boundaries on your life, not because I want to kill your joy. I actually want you to live to the fullest. And you walk out of these boundaries, destruction happens. Tell my girls, nothing godly happens after 11 p.m. when you're a teenager. That's what God's saying here. She's really successful, and the church was like, well, why is she getting so successful then, or he or whoever this Jezebel figure was? God's going, you don't get my patience, do you? I'm just withholding so she will repent, which just means make a U-turn. It's pretty simple. That word gets a lot of bad press, but it just means make a U-turn. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop thinking the way you're thinking and make a U-turn. So how do we avoid being misled, we don't assume you're immune. You got to stay humble. Don't believe everything you hear. There is an authority over our lives. God, His Word, this community. If you're a part of PCC, if you're a stakeholder, don't confuse success with blessing. And then, lastly, don't let go of the gospel. How he ends it in verse 24 and 25. Now I'll say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching. And have not learned, and this is what she taught, uh, deep secrets. And Jesus calls them what they are. Those are Satan's deep secrets. And by the way, if you look at the whole of what we've studied, that's the third time Satan appears to a letter. And each time it's gotten deeper and deeper and deeper. The first letter is where Satan lived. We looked at that, uh, Smyrna. Then Pergamum last week, where Satan has his throne. This week... Now they're engaging in his deep, dark secrets. Pretty crazy stuff. And God calls it for what it is. And he says, you know what? Some of you aren't holding to that. Some of you are prioritizing, giving first-class allegiance to what's first, not first-class allegiance to secondary things. He says, I'm not going to impose any burden on you because that's how Jesus is. I didn't come to complicate your life. Just hold on to what you have. What's he talking about? Hold on on to the gospel hold on to the good news now here's where i need to emphasize something that uh, may have less emphasis in other services because many of you have been walking with god for a long time and many of you view when i say hold on to the gospel you view it like a door that you walked through at one point where christ forgave you and everything was new and then you close the door and just got on with your christian life Listen, the gospel is a point, but it's also a process. And that's what he's talking about here. Live off the gospel every day. Uh, Here's the greatest definition I found of the gospel by a pastor in Manhattan. His name's Tim Keller. He says, the gospel is this. This is good news, everybody. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet, at the very same time, We are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's not just something I needed uh, 40, 35 years ago when I met Christ as an 18-year-old. That's something I need this morning to live off of. And tomorrow morning, and the next morning, and the next morning. You will never outrun the love of Jesus Christ.
His mercies are new, what church? Every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And so Jesus says, for those of you who aren't buying into the Jezebel compromise teaching that you think it's okay, hold on to the gospel. Cling to it like a lifeline of a scuba diver who's underwater. Breathe off it as often as you can. Uh, I was away last two weeks ago at a conference and mingling with a pastor, and he said, you know, when I do baptisms, he says, I tell people, I prep them beforehand, look, I am going to hold you under the water for a very long time. He says, I think we just dunk them and put them up way too quickly. He's like, I want them to struggle under there. You don't ever want me to baptize you, right? (laughs) And just as they're gasping for breath, I'll bring them up for two reasons. Because that's metaphorically what Jesus has done to us when we were dying. Jesus gave us breath and life. But I also want them to know the Christian life is a struggle. You got to fight for it. You got to work at it. You can't put your soul, your life, your mind, your priorities on autopilot and consider yourself one day to grow up and be godly. It just won't happen. And what was at stake for Thyatira was not just their church. Their church lasted a couple hundred years and then it ceased to exist. What was at stake was the city of Thyatira. Jesus put a church there, not just for them, but for the city. Enjoy this painting that's coming off in a couple weeks before Advent. We put the city on the walls because we want you to know as you leave here, you are going to your, on the windows, I'm sorry, you're going into your primary mission field. God has a heart for the city. He loves the city. And every weed-smoking, cussing Harley driver in it. But a Harley man will never come into this church. So we go to them. Isn't that awesome? So I want to ask you as we close this last question. Who's your Jezebel? Who's getting in your mind? Who are you giving an attachment to? Maybe secondary in your priorities, and you're giving first allegiance to. Before you leave this building, what do you need to let go of? What are you holding on to where the Holy Spirit's been convicting you, and you're going, okay, that's got to change. That's God, that's not me. What are you holding on to you got to let go on? What's competing with Jesus for your primary allegiance? And then with the vigor you're worshiping here today, I really want you to wrestle with this. This is so important. How will that passion of worship be displayed through your work ethic tomorrow in the workplace? By the way you work, by the quality of your work, by when you show up, by the integrity you have on the job, by your invitation of Jesus, join me in this. Because I know I'm not just here to create or produce a widget. I'm here for your glory. So that the fragrance of Christ spread through me. That's the message at Thyatira. And Jesus closes the way I will close. If you have ears, does everyone have ears? May you hear what the Spirit is saying to Peninsula Covenant Church. Father, thank you for your word. I love this group. Thanks for Carol and the gift. Thanks for Dane and Terry. Thanks for the men leading us in worship and singing. Thanks for the choir for every person here 
You accept us. I want you to hear that. Regardless of where you are, God loves you. He longs for you to come to know Jesus. That's how you become most human and most alive. Lord, may we really live into spreading everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of you. Pray for that in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.